folks. Welcome back to the Real Talk Podcast. Today we have Art Witten on, Dr. Art Witten. Um, why don't we just let you introduce yourself? I I know you taught Aguido for a long time, but you've also taught elsewhere, and I don't know exactly where, so I was going to ask you about that. Oh, we could start with that. But yeah, thanks for an opportunity to talk about the church mm-hmm. order. Yeah. It's a topic, obviously, that uh, I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're into. Um, much so. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, well, my academic training, you were asking about earlier. I served at uh, McMaster uh, Geography four years. Really? Okay. Be at Toronto, at Toronto University, at Toronto, and then Sunny State University of New York, masters in the science of education. Okay. And then cool. went back to Toronto for another masters, and then did a uh, doctorate at uh, UNISA, the University of South Africa, with a pro uh, promoter, a co promoter. At uh, McGill, so I would go oh, there wow. in the summertime and uh, to South Africa to. Well, yeah, that's where yeah, yeah. the this... uh, thesis was submitted. Okay, and uh, the person at McGill was uh, our co my co promoter. Oh wow! So cool. really, you know, wonderful experience. So educated beyond belief. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> heavily. Let's Would say. you have a diploma, a two-year diploma, or something? <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I'm, I'm not qualified to be in this kind of First name has not changed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. So we want to talk about the church order today and uh, yeah. um, some of the church governance in the Canadian Reformed Church and stuff like that. So, and, um, and you asked me about work. Uh, I started off before Guido existed at uh, Lincoln County. Uh, teaching high school at South Lincoln High School, which no longer exists. I was going to yeah, say, yeah, say yeah, that doesn't yeah. sound like it exists. <laughs> so yeah. I, uh, I was on the board in the Edco at Guido at the time, yep. and then went to work at Guido oh, okay. for seven years. And then when I, I was in the board of um, Covenant Teachers College, okay. and I taught there full time for a decade, or yep. nine years to be precise. And uh, wow. that afterwards, uh, when I went back to Guido, mm-hmm. I loved teaching grade 11, 12. Yeah, some of you might remember, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you you were fortunate enough to have my. Yeah, I, I never, I never was in your class. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, I, I probably well, slipped into some of your classes, well, you but know, whatever. I, I wouldn't yeah. remember anything. Not formally, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, that was a, a fun forty-one years of teaching. Wow, that's a good run. Yeah, 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 yeah I've yeah. been retired for six years. So, what did you teach at you? Geography, well, geography and 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 um, Bible, uh, religious right. studies, and yeah. I did a lot of the curriculum work. Oh, okay. that was my forte to develop program. And uh, course outlines, oh, in particular. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, I mean, need someone with experience doing that work. Well, and part of it, believe it or not, I did a unit on the church order early eighties. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. As part of the religious studies, because it was much in vogue. Yeah. And uh, yeah. people were talking about it back then. Yeah. Yeah. That's forty years ago. And now, and now, not so. Well, I mean, at least among younger people, not so much. That's the sense I have. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, I think that's kind of what we want to do today is just dive into, like, okay, what is this document we have called the Church Order? What's it all about? Mm-hmm. How did it come about? You know, who was involved in making it? How old is it? And why is it still important today? And you know, what's what's going on with the Church Order? So, mm-hmm. maybe you can give us some of the history and just kind of start there. And we'll go. Well, go you know what? In the Book of Praise, which I've got open in front of me here, there is a paragraph or two, sort of highlighting that during the 1500s. So, Calvin is born 1509. Sure, he doesn't quite make 60. So it's during that time that mm-hmm. he, Calvin, in Geneva, um, one of the things he did when he first arrived there was separate the responsibility of church and state. Mm-hmm. So he writes a church order in the uh, 1540s. Okay. And by 1563 or so, it, it's more or less uh, gotten to Holland. And there are a couple of sessions. There are two 
early synod at Dortz, and there's one in The Hague, there's one in uh, Emden in Germany because there's persecution going on. And during that time, the church order was developed. Mm. With uh, then in uh, at the synod at Dort in uh, 1618-19, and the uh, church order was um, sort of codified in the sense of having everybody agree to it. Okay. Yeah. And much of that uh, was done actually at this time of the year, as a that synod started in November, and the church order Dort or the Cans of Dort rather was um, was very much part of their initial. Uh, Activity, but near the end of that synod, they also formalized a church order. Hmm. And that's basically what we have. It's been refined by different denominations and by different church federations and also ourselves. We've refined it a little bit, but it's um, essentially a church order dort. Okay. Okay. So cool. why why was it necessary back then? Like, why did they get to work on it? Well, uh, you know, the best thing to do is to have a look at the first article of church order, which says that for the maintenance of good order, you need to have in Christ Church a, a formal sort of arrangement. Um, that phrase, good order, essentially comes from 1 Corinthians 14, the end of the chapter, verse 40. Do everything in decency and good order. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians about, you know, speaking in tongues and whatnot. Right. Hey, Paul says that sooner say five words than a thousand that nobody understands. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he ends up that in that chapter giving some directions to worship and uh, the well-known phrase, do everything with decency and with common consent. Hmm. And, and Benuni's uh, commentary is called with, oh, with common that consent. Time, take yeah. it from there. There's also another commentary that uh, is a standard to Van Delden and Monsma that uh, sort of everybody uses that studies the church order. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's um, in brief from the 1500s with commentaries um, sort of highlighting the history of how these articles were used and developed over time. Yep. That's what we're into when we're talking about the church order. That's cool. Yeah. They, so basically to keep things organized, they made a church order. Maintenance. Maintenance. Uh, yeah. For, uh, let me quote the exact wording. Sure. Yeah. So for the maintenance of good order. In the Church of Christ, it is necessary that there be offices, and then beyond that, you have uh, you know worship arranged, discipline arranged, uh, mm. assemblies arranged, and those kind of things. Right, yeah. right. So it wasn't really. Did they find that it was necessary then for a reason, or or before that was it just kind of an assumed thing that now they were codifying, or, or were they they were up against a. You know, you said the church and state, but were they up yeah. against something that was a problem? Or Well, yeah. You know what? It's best to go right back to the Bible. Because essentially what the church order is, is, a, is the wisdom of God's word applied mm. to us, his people, right. in church. Yeah, yeah. So it's wisdom from the word of God applied to how we arrange ourselves and conduct, conduct ourselves. Right. Yep. What that good order looks like. We had we had a sermon Sunday morning that was apropos from Acts fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Reverend Lowers. Yeah. So Acts fifteen has you know you got you got Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, James arguing back and forth, deliberating, mm -hmm. and it's a deliberative body that we still maintain when we synods, for instance, get together. Yeah. But in that example from Acts fifteen, 
hey, should the Jewish laws be maintained, or as Gentiles, do we do be become or need to become Jews? Yeah. And you know, and I think verse twenty-five of that chapter says, "Hey, they came to an accord mm. again, consensus reaching agreements then facilitate what ought to be done." Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's actually an interesting passage because, well, I'm just thinking about that sermon now because they they all like met in Jerusalem, so they all like gathered together. So it was with purpose, and then when they got together, it's interesting that they came up with basically what or they upheld the doctrine of the bible or the doctrine of the totally. christian faith yeah. um and you know people don't always see the the church order necessarily as the doctrine and it's more like a yeah i don't know what you would call it like yeah it's it's the good order so it's a, like an agreed upon order but that was a very specific like doctrinal issue that they had to to hammer out and so. the way they went about it Mm -hmm. It was an example to us. The apostles and elders come mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. They debated and to yeah. deliberate is, is the yeah. nice word. Yeah. We still used to. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, the reformed way is to argue until yeah, right. we yeah. all agree. Yeah. 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 Or consent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like a synod. Yeah. yeah. Well, it we do that yeah. in, in, in uh, consistory with, sure. with the deacons or without the deacons. And, mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. was the church order then kind of a product of the Reformation? I would say yes, very okay. much so. In yeah. that, um, like do the Catholics have anything similar? Well, not so much. They, they do have a catechism. They do have a pope that controls. Sure. Yeah. And we have the opposite. Yeah, they have a different structure, definitely. So mm. <laughs> the Reformed uh, churches distinguish themselves by way of a church order, mm -hmm. also from the Presbyterians and certainly from other denominations, if you will. Okay, so the Reformed, specifically Reformed and not churches. Presbyterian, churches held on to this church order throughout. So it starts in, uh, you, did you say Senate of Dort, was it? Well, that's essentially what, that's, in yeah. 1618, Okay, where it started up, yeah. Yep. And then, so that's that's adopted in Reformed churches across Europe. Reformed churches are distinguished by their former government. Yes. Yeah, yep. and that's the church order of Dort applied, you know, in a different way in Australia, for instance. They don't have classes or they, sorry, they don't have a regional senate. They have a classes and then general senate. Right. Now. A little bit more oh, okay. frequently than we do. And you know, the um, New Zealand uh, Reformed Church in New Zealand has tried to amalgamate a Presbyterian and a Reformed uh, sort of process. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, the OPC that we have ecclesiastical fellowship with has something called the Fog. In the form of government, okay. and they have a, a codified set of doctrinal statements. And they're not quite doctrinal, but that they're codified yep. by way of agreements. We have reduced our church order uh, to about seventy-six then uh, articles. Yep. And I mentioned the first one. The last one is also then very telling because it says, by common consent, by accord, uh, we can change it. Adapted mm -hmm. as necessary, or yep. as we, yep. and then by general senate, yep. by consensus, uh, get to um, to do things. Mm, right. Okay. So yep. it's less about um, holding a a a standard that is <clears throat> is you know say a, not really doctrinal, but it it is the same through time as it is to do things in good order together. Yeah, I keep saying the wisdom of God from the Bible is being used. And also mm. in, in Article 50 or Acts 15, there's reference there to uh, um, 
James saying, let's go back to what's written. Yep. And some old mm. uh, Testament prophets are quoted. Um, I have here a document, for instance, where we have 18 foundational principles that we came up with right from God's Word, uh, specific texts that highlight uh, the rationale for the different articles. Oh, okay. Who's we in that scenario? Well, maybe we're going to get back to that later, but this is something called the proposed joint church order that potentially we could have used. Oh, okay. Right. May yet use That's in right. a potential union with the Canadian Reformed Churches, with the United right, Reformed Churches of North oh, okay. America. Okay, yeah, I was actually going to ask you, does the URC have a similar type of church order as well? Uh, yeah, they, they have a few less um, <clears throat> articles, and they've combined a few. They are more um, likely to give, and I've got a copy of that church order here, but they're more likely to give uh, some um, responsibility to the congregation mm-hmm. okay, right, that we might give to classes. Oh, okay. Um, that's an overstatement to make a case. Sure, right. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to ask about that later, but maybe maybe we'll do that a little later. So, um, yeah. So what what? Yeah, I guess we touched on like what advantage it has for us, but is is the reformed um, church order unique in that way? Like that it's it's um, something that that governs our church differently than the URC, or is it something that just is 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 applied a little bit differently, or is taken a little more seriously, or well. I'm not sure about seriously, but obviously it functions. And what we're talking about then is the church order dort. It right. may have been adapted to the URC special situation in the 90s, 1990s. Yep. And we have tweaked it here and there uh, for our particular situation. But essentially it is still the church order dort. Yeah. And on that basis, we had lots of agreement uh, when we met with them over a 10, 12-year period. Sure. Yep, yeah, that makes right. sense. So there wasn't any sort of big change going on when the CANRC started originally. Like that was just, they're like, oh, this is pretty much the same. Yeah, the, and the actually, the, um, Senator Cloverdale uh, in 1983 <clears throat> presented a, essentially a, an English translation, updated translation for the Canadian Reformed Churches. So Senator Cloverdale in 1983 is basically the church order that we have now. Again, okay. there have been a couple of tweaks, but um, that was a major effort by a committee that included late Reverend Benuni to um, to sort of yeah tweak things as per updated needs. Mm. Right, right. And I've been involved with some of that, being an elder for forty years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we went two years off in between terms. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're back on the list now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I should be, I'd be amiss if I didn't sort of relate. My parents, my dad was very much involved with this kind of work as well. Okay. I got some really interesting commentaries in Dutch from him. Okay, still. cool. Uh, and my grandfather was involved. By the way, he would be your great-grandfather. Yeah, right. From your mother's side. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, enough Dutch bingo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. But yeah, it, it was a... Um, let's say, heritage from my parents and my dad particularly that I uh, carried on with it and really appreciated the discussions we had and some of the things that were happening in the liberation in 1944 where yeah. we left the Christian Reformed Church in Holland, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. Um, that has given the proof that this church was still relevant right, and very much uh, useful 
Yeah. Was Article 31 in particular that functioned at that time, the right to appeal a decision? Mm. Um, Senate did something, for instance, in 1942, 1944, deposed a professor. It wasn't their responsibility to do so. Right. So that was appealed, and those who, yep. whose appeals were denied them liberated themselves from that kind of hierarchy. Oh, yep. interesting. And on that basis, we're Canadian reformed. Hmm. Because they who left that uh, in 1944, that liberated uh, group of folk, uh, many immigrated here and started yep. in 1950. Uh, Georgetown in uh, oh. the Woods and mm-hmm. in BC, it was yep. in Coldo. There you go. Huh. A little history lesson right there. Um, I was. Did you have a question before? Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask, um, like, is there any push to... I mean, this is probably too broad and we'll get down this rabbit hole perhaps, but so it hasn't really been changed since 1983. No. Not it, too, too much? A, a couple of things. We added, for instance, um, this is kind of interesting, Article 63 that talks about marriage. We added a phrase when the gender issues became uh, a concern that basically codified, if you will. And I mm. don't actually like that word, but okay. We added to the uh, Article 30, 63 about marriage the phrase, the Word of God teaches that marriage is a union between one man and one woman. And obviously that was at a given moment sure. mm. in our context uh, necessary. Right. <clears throat> um, there's one other sort of interesting little tweak, but all these things have a history as to why the changes are made. Yeah. There's one that has to do with the eligibility of a pastor <clears throat> who would come from... Um, outside of our federation. And there's a phrase that deals with recent converts should not um, readily uh, go into the uh, ministry without having been tested for a reasonable time, a reasonable period of time. So that was also, that phrase, uh, tested, well tested for a reasonable period of time is also added to Article 4, B section, subsection two, having to do with the uh, minister coming to the Federation, wanting to become a minister in our Federation. Right. They ought to have a bit of a reputation by way of uh, doctrine and life uh, mm. as members of a church in our Federation. Right. right. So, okay. but in general, those are not to go uh, oh, but those aren't, aren't necessarily. Um, uh, changed by a case in the church. They're more changed by the cultural context that we're living in. Well, and sometimes the situation in the church. Either way. Um, we did have in the 80s and 90s uh, a number of situations where people joined a federation and entered the ministry in a certain fashion. So that was mm. part of the, uh, right. let's say, real issue at the time. And, yep. and certainly the other one, marriage, was a societal mm. context that we need. Need to be uh, prepared for. So right. if, no, if somebody were to take us to court, have to marry, you know, same sex or something, mm. we could say no, no, no. We by our changed church order now we recognize marriage only between one man, one woman. Yep. Right. So it frees us to do uh, what mm. we need to do. Yes, yeah, oh, right. it'd be a clear violation of the church <clears throat> principles, yeah. the church rules. In fact, the late Reverend De Young had a, had a book out on the church order where he sort of had a series of essays, but the title of the book was Bound Yet Free. So mm. the church order sets us free to yeah. do certain things. It's not restrictive. 
it sets us free by common consent to be operative. Yeah. And it's like yeah. discipline equals freedom, that kind of thing. Well, like you it's have a an certain... expression of love even. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah that true. makes sense. So all reformed churches, from what I understand so far, hold to this this basic church order. That's that's how they're defined as reformed. Um, is there any similar sort of uh, document of church governance that the Presbyterians have or the Lutherans have or the Baptists have? How's that gone for those sort of churches? Well, you know what? We also, of course, the confessions. So we have the Word of, of God, the confessions yeah. that we yeah. adhere to. Yeah. And from those principles, foundational principles, we develop a church order. Yes. Mm. Now, they do the same. From their principles. I'm referring to, you know, the other um, denominations. Right. Yeah. Not to go into too much detail there, and I don't know very much about some of that, essentially, but they have... Um, more of a top-down context, mm-hmm. even the Presbyterians. They have a presbytery that decides on where a minister should be installed, let's say. Right. Oh, a okay. congregation should receive this minister right. as mm-hmm. an example. Yep. And there's much more to it. But it's an example yeah. of, hey, the congregation is less involved than uh, we're comfortable with. Yeah, right. And obviously there's dangers that go along with that, having the Pope now, you know, says... You know, gay marriage is fine, and this is fine, and that's yeah. interesting. interesting. And, and it's interesting from the top down. Um, yeah, it's easier to to control and to mm. rule. Yeah, <laughs> so that's we, true. we have a couple of situations where we, in our church order, highlight. And it used to be Article One, actually, that no office bearer shall rule it or um, let's say have responsibility or take charge over another office bearer. They they're equal. So mm. it's, it's right now, article, it's been put from the very front before the center door to... Um, yeah, it is in there. To... Uh, 17? No lording it over others, article 74. Oh, 74. Yeah. So no church in any way, or shall in any way lord it over uh, other churches, and no office bearer over other office bearers. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting aside. There's also, when it comes to ministers, um, an earlier article that says, no, ministers should be deemed to be um, equal, as Article six, 17, mm-hmm. equality among the ministers of the word. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, 300 years ago or 200 years ago, the city competent pastor could not be over ruling in any which way the, the country bumpkin. simple country yeah. Yeah, 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 right. pastor. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyways, there are all yeah. kinds of history there that's fascinating to listen to or mm. to, to read up on a little bit. Yeah, there's a reason for for all the... There's a there. re- very strong reason yeah. for some of this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. You mentioned earlier um, the, that merger attempt, I should say, I guess, yeah. with the URC. So we've, you know, like I'm, we're both younger, we weren't really around for that. I'm sure a bunch of our listeners probably weren't. So do you mind like kind of without, I guess, I mean, it's tough to say because you're probably coming out from one side of the table, I suppose, in those negotiations. But can you give us some sort of uh, you know, overview account of like, how did that go down? Was the church order a sticking point or was it just something that like it was something else perhaps? Yeah, we could chat about that for a while. Um, Sydney in Irlandia, 2001, basically <clears throat> commissioned uh, three efforts. Uh, one, to have a chat with the URC folk in terms of potential unity. 
as to how ministers would be trained. That didn't go very far. Didn't mm. go anywhere. Um, <clears throat> then a, a joint effort toward a church book or book of praise right. equivalent. Mm, right. uh, efforts were made, and, and there were, generally speaking, uh, positive initial attempts and, and some activity, of course, as well. And I, I'm you know, giving a personal opinion, if you will, in terms yep. of recalling the history, that obviously has not resulted in the desired effect because the mm. URC has gone with the OPC into the uh, Trinity Psalter Hymnal. Yes, right. The new one. Right. Uh, as recently as Synod at Edmonton, we, uh, well, about two years ago, this coming month, mm. uh, we debated at length, should we invent that Trinity Psalter Hymnal and, and uh, combine it with our Book of Praise? And what we're going through right now in our churches is... Uh, through the Book of Praise Committee, mm -hmm. we're looking at and practicing, if you will, some was better than others. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't sing it all. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, the effort is to try to incorporate some uh, nudge and even tunes, some extra mm -hmm. hymns. So the debate right now is do we go over 100 hymns uh, like the, mm -hmm. the URC has done? And we've got some. Uh, previous Senate decisions that say, let's restrict it to 100. We even have, a, as late as last month, a uh, classes decision to appeal or to overture, better said, Senate to restrict the number, to give predominance to mm -hmm. the Psalms. Yes. And I think that's right. the gist of what that is all about. Okay, Church Order Committee. After 2001, we're in a committee, uh, five of us, five of them. Wonderful experience. We had combined meetings for years, yep. and we'd come up with a proposed joint church order, which we could, based on church order Dort, which we could all sort of sign off on. There was one sticking point, <clears throat> which is Article 35 of the proposed joint church order, which is 55 for us, and we can get into that momentarily, mm -hmm. sure. but that had to do with who controls the scene in the church. But for the rest, we had a very, very good agreement. In fact, at uh, Senate Burlington, Ebenezer, um, 2010, uh, we, as can refers, accepted that particular uh, proposed joint church order as workable for a potential union. Okay. Mm. Now, their side has, um, well, to get to the point where we're at now, we're basically in an impasse, hiatus, um, six years, sort of let's let things be. Sure. And we'll come back to it in uh, 2022. Hmm. So the ball's in their court, if I might put it in my hmm, casual way that way. Yeah, yeah. Great. So we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, it's been a wonderful experience to see reformed people and, you know, essentially, especially this side, of the, this side of the border, the URC folk are like us, oh, second, mm -hmm. third, fourth generation perhaps now, but post-World War II immigrants. Yep. And socially, economically, we're very much similar. Yep. Yep. Uh, back in California and some other places, the Canadian reform don't really know us to the yeah. degree that those who are near us yep. in terms of Southern Ontario particularly know us. Yeah. Does that does that create a um, some kind of a barrier for for the discussion then? Well, not on our side, but uh, you know, frankly, 
of what is going to happen. I don't know. Perhaps nothing in my lifetime, but <laughs> in your lifetime, I'm not sure. But it may be that, uh, like we have regional synods that, that are, mm. and um, they don't uh, as such use them. But um, if the international boundary were to divide a Canadian and American United Reformed Church, then I think we come very close to having a joint effort. Uh, it comes rather naturally, I think. Right? Yeah, if we're um, to do it that way. With the URC in Ontario, and I would yeah. gather also in the Western provinces. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. So basically what I understand from that is we're sitting at an impasse right now. And um, so we, we had passed that church order on our side of the fence in terms of that, but their, their synod had not passed it. Because of the church order or more because of the unfamiliarity of... Well, they've said a number of things, but basically, uh, again, personal opinion. Sure. Um, we'll have to have a URC by way of their book, By way of their hymnal, by way mm -hmm. of their seminary training, yep. they're very much in line with, in cooperation with the Presbyterians. Okay. So over time, what's going to happen in the American context, particularly, uh, you know, the URC is going to have to... Again, very personal opinion. Is going to have to make a decision. Do you stay continental reformed, three forms of unity, or do you incorporate the Westminster Confession and align yourself more and more with Presbyterians, mm -hmm. who are our brothers and sisters, but church orderly, they're very different in yes. the context of right. uh, what we're talking about. Yeah, it must be an interesting discussion in the States. Like they have got they've got a lot of different denominations, a lot of different ways of doing doing things there. I don't know if we have the same kind of context, but hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully that can get worked out. I mean, who knows? I guess we're kind of just waiting until twenty twenty two, and then do they have a synod coming up, or what's? Yeah, it, okay, they do, and you know what? It's wait and see. It's mm. in the Lord's hands. Yeah, I mean, you know, Article One that we quoted, yep. reign is a good order for the sake of the Church of Christ. Yep. It's not our doing; it's His, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, so we. We have these discussions with the URC. Is there any other discussions going on with any other denominations that we have? Well, Listen. last uh, synod, uh, Edmonton, we uh, and this was rather traumatic by, um, well, total uh, unanimous decision. We severed our ties with our sister churches in the mm. Netherlands. Yep. Mm -hmm. And this was traumatic for so many audience and, and some around the table as well that have that background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, on that basis, <clears throat> we severed one tie, but we opened up a ecclesiastical relationship potentially with some others. And there's at various stages of contact uh, discussion going on with uh, also some other reformed denominations in North America still. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, that's good. That's like, you know, we, we all, yeah, we think about unity all the time <laughs> and, you know, just from a, a lay person in the congregation, it's hard to to know where it's going or what what's happening. You know, yeah, you, you got to read the book the synod put puts it right. Well, yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, they're also you know the, the journals are helpful to some degree. Christian mm. renewal and, and Clarion certainly, right at times. Um, but yeah, it's a decision that's made a general synod. So it's somewhat mm. removed from the man in the pew. Mm, yeah, maybe you want to actually just we haven't even touched on that really, but just quickly outlay uh, or outline rather uh, the system of government that we have in the church, right. just for mm. anybody who is okay. familiar. So you have a church, and Article Two talks about well, the church or talks about we have officers, yep. and we talk about how they are elected, and then you know the um, 
the decision making is, and this is foundational in terms of uh, Ephesians 4, for instance, um, Christ has given the responsibility to the elders. So the elders are to maintain good order in the church. It's also mm -hmm. part of their the form and uh, part of the uh, article that deals with the um, function of elders. So uh, they, the elders with the minister, and then there's a whole debate as to what is the role of the deacons, but mm -hmm. let's, let's leave that aside for a moment. So you have consistory with the deacons or without, and that includes the minister and elders, making decisions. Now they um, will, with neighboring churches, come together at a classes, and that's every four months. Um, and on that basis, um, you know, some uh, credentials that the consistory then sends with the two brothers, usually an elder and mm -hmm. a deacon, or rather a minister and an elder. And if um, there is no minister and two elders, mm -hmm. delegated by consistory to attend the classes for the decision-making at that classes. What's on the agenda of that classes comes from the churches. Mm -hmm. So there's certain things such as... Um, the church is vacant by church order regulation, if you will. It needs a counselor. So who does that? Um, there are also, by way of classes, visitations during the year mm -hmm. to make sure that we help each other to maintain a, a good order in operating, running the church. So as elders, we get the church visitors and they go through a whole list of guidelines prescribed, agreed to mm -hmm. by uh, common consent at classes. Now, at classes, um, there is once a year, so that's classes four times a year, uh, once a year there's a regional synod. Uh, a regional synod usually happens in December, and the delegates from classes that go to a regional synod, so let's say there are um, four classes, districts, areas where the neighboring churches get together in Ontario, so they each send uh, two. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Uh, two ministers and two elders. So there you're sitting with 16 people at a regional senate where appeals might happen. So in other words, some person has been um, personally offended or has personally determined that a decision by a consistory is contrary to the word of God or the church order. It doesn't mm. actually mention in Article 31, the confessions. It's assumed, if you will. But if the consistory makes a decision that's contrary to the Bible and church order, you can appeal it. If it goes, then you appeal it to who? Well, to classes. You, so you appeal a consistory decision to classes. Classes may make a decision. And if you disagree with that decision, you can appeal it to a regional yeah. um, senate once a year held. Do you have to have new grounds for that appeal? Uh, not you necessarily. Just... You can say they misinterpreted, classes misinterpreted hmm. this hmm. particular text. So really, it can go all the way to the top if you want. Well, I can go to the senate. Yeah. General Senate. But okay. at Regional Senate, it's really a, an opportunity to have a second sober thought. And I've been to a number of these where, you know, we, we've really tried to be pastoral in terms of uh, looking very clearly at what Scripture says and how the church is applying the wisdom of Scripture. And with the wisdom of added people, and if you will, um, some people who have not earlier been involved with the case, you get some new insights, yep. and it works, functions very nicely, um, by and large. And then uh, every three years, the last regional synod uh, before uh, a general synod delegates 
Um, in, the, in our case now, um, six and six. So it's regional center east, six ministers, six elders, west same. So we went from 16 now to 24 men who seated around the table at General Senate. Mm. What's on the agenda is basically what comes from the churches. Yep. Via the ecclesiastical route at times. So let's say you want to add a uh, an article on evangelism, which is not in the church order itself. There's an article on mission, but it doesn't detail evangelism, for instance. That would have to go to the ecclesiastical route in the mm. sense of... Uh, Consistory proposing or council proposing um, a article to be added to the church order. And then it would go to classes. Classes could continue that overture to regional synod if they agree. They may add to it, if you will. Yep. And the regional synod could pass it on or with uh, additional comment or whatever to general synod. And mm. that's where the decision would be made. Mm. Yep. And we had some controversial things, such as women's voting, that in 2010, General Senate was decided. And then we came back to it later at the next General Senate and said, eh, you know what, it's not a big deal. Let's just make it part of the regulations, mm. which mm. is Article 3 of the church order. So we'll make it part of the regulations. I smile a little bit because I'm somewhat involved with those yeah. discussions. But yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it became a matter of we'll do locally, by way of regulations, uh, what consistory with the deacons uh, finds uh, yeah. to be the most wise way to go about mm. this. Yeah. So it's yeah. not really a top-down approach because the the most power still resides with the local consistory, but they mm. delegate it up the chain yeah. uh, for these uh, quote-unquote higher bodies just broader, for that sober Broader second. assemblies, yeah. Yeah, yeah broader assemblies, that's called. Yeah, the the wording becomes important because it, yeah. there's also an Article 37 that talks about jurisdiction. Okay. So it's not really delegated delegated authority because okay. when let's say I go to from a consistory to a classes, they may tell me what to do about a certain uh, issue, how to vote, and they may give me instructions. In other words, but normally I you would go there with out responsibility, not being delegated in the sense of having to say what the consistory said. You mm. deal with the agenda items uh, individually. Okay. But there is a jurisdiction article, that's 37, that says, um, uh, you should probably read it, that the relationship between these is somewhat um, interesting. The classes has the same jurisdiction over the consistory as the regional synod has over the classes and the general synod over the regional synod. So what's that jurisdiction? Well, basically, by majority vote, if something is decided... And then we go back to Article 31. If something is decided by majority vote, it is considered to be settled and binding unless. And th this is a critical uh, mm. sort of phrase in the Article 31, what functioned again in 1944 in a very direct way. And the, the wording here is um, whatever may be agreed upon by a majority vote shall be considered settled and binding unless it is proved to be in conflict with the Word of God or with the church order. So you can appeal if you don't agree, but it's settled and binding by consent, hmm. by majority vote. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's interesting. We've been chatting with this and how it's different than I. this outline of how the bodies work really helps, but I'm trying to wrap my head around in in practical way so top, like a top down, a very good example would be, I guess, the Pope, you know, 
it's like the Pope makes a decision and then tells the decision to the whole all the uh, bishops and all the bishops and cardinals and everybody listens. And if you don't listen, then you are liable or you're you're accountable to the Pope, I guess, as the you know, quote unquote representative of He's the divine inspired. Right. So and we don't have that approach where a general synod could come up with something that then, you know, make all the local consistories uh, implement. But in practicality, like a, a local consistory could come up with some, um, or, you know, take issue with something or, or want to change some kind of regulation or something and then send it up the, up the chain. What's preventing the, the consistory from uh, just not listening to the higher body, continuing what they're doing. Uh. And then, you know, say, say it goes through the appeal process, like, and I'm not even thinking about a convert, uh, controversial issue. I'm just trying to think of this as a broader, like, how is it not a top-down um, system if the top is kind of at, you know, at I top. guess you can't say the top. The broader assembly is making the decision. Yeah, but it does so with common consent. Right. And generate it through the delegation, if you will. That's what I mean, right, yeah. Okay. And the delegates. So that's one way of speaking about it. But this is this is the kind of thing that uh, certainly in the URC has, and out west particularly, has been a bit of a concern. Hmm. How do, for instance, the deputies of regional senate function at classes when a minister is to be ordained and installed or to be yeah, ordained as a minister and to be installed that has to have the concurrent advice of deputies of a regional synod. Now, what are these people there for? Well, it's checks and balances. It's the wisdom of many. And it's not necessarily from the top down because it's concurring in the sense of trying to come to an agreement together. Mm. And essentially, and I can't stress it enough, and perhaps you haven't actually read it yet, but in Article 76, that notion is very much highlighted by way of this. These articles, with regard to the lawful order of the church, have been adopted with common accord. And this is that phrase from Acts uh, uh, 15, verse 25. If the interests of the churches demand such, they may and ought to be changed, augmented, or diminished. So you, you can change what we agreed to together. Hmm. But once a decision has been made, unless, and then even... If uh, a decision is made that you disagree with, you ought to, with Article 31, to interpret it properly. You ought to maintain that decision that has been made because you've agreed to maintain decisions together. But if you disagree, go ahead and appeal. In the meantime, still adhere to it. Mm -hmm. So don't... Yep, right. um, Of course, unless you believe it's against the word of God. Well, but then still, abide by what the decision has been collectively all about. And then appeal it. Mm. But don't... And make the case. Don't, don't, don't yeah. get me into, you know, the phraseology <laughs> that says, if the, does, if the church order doesn't forbid it, we'll try it. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, that's another sort of way around the church order. Because the intent is to do things by common accord. Right. And that's a Christian, loving fashion, prescribed, if you will, in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's, uh, a, that's an interesting thing for people our age to keep in mind, I guess. It's sure to do it in so. common accord, but then... <clears throat> Um, but that's the spirit of it. Yeah. Does that account for local differences? Like, because you we talked about earlier, the church order is not actually a restrictive thing; it's a freeing thing. So the way I would, this is just within bounds. Within bounds, sure. So the way I would just picture that is like, okay, we have a, a basic set of rules we all agree to in common accord. 
for good order and good functioning of the Federation. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, there's still a fair amount of freedom within the church order to for a local church to tailor it to their local needs. No. Well, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, that's, that was basically it. I'm like, is, is that a fair analysis or <laughs> well, yeah, am I misreading you know, the intent? I'm jumping to what you might want to use as an example. I, Liturgy, for instance. Sure. Yeah. And, um, hmm. and traditions such as use of the borders. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We yeah. Actually we'll we'll talk touch about, on that later. Yeah, we can <laughs> talk about that too. You yeah. mentioned that in, in mm-hmm. your, your comments to me. Yeah. Some of these things are, if you will, biblical wisdom applied over time through tradition. Hmm. And there are a whole bunch of those. Uh, but liturgy, um, 1933 or so, Senator Middleburg, the Netherlands, suggested two common practices, two uh, forms of liturgy, A and B, in common usage. Hmm. So we have them in the Book of Praise. They're listed in the back of the Book of Praise. So do those. Those aren't part of the church order, though, technically. No, 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 no. It's tradition. Hmm. But it is also based on a lot of Reformed thinking, biblical wisdom, in terms of uh, being structured and organized mm-hmm. uh, in a fashion that creates order. Now, if you want to, um, let's say, uh, do your own thing before the votum and after the benediction, uh, yeah, you can probably do that within the context of mm. uh, what we do. There is a section of church around worship which says you have to have two services and one should be based on an explanation of the uh, catechism. Mm-hmm. And the consistory has to be, uh, is calling the uh, church together. So it's the consistory that makes decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on that basis, we have uh, a lot of good tradition. So as God speaks, we respond. God speaks, we respond. Yep. Greeting, song. Law, response, mm-hmm. prayer. And, you know, that sequencing and then the, the emphasis on the preaching of God's word is an obvious mm-hmm. that comes again from, you know, what promotes the body of Christ. There's an interesting chapter in, in Ephesians, for instance, chapter four of Ephesians, that when, when people start talking about, you know, what should we or shouldn't we do, um, in terms of um, uh, who we are as Reformed people, the the unity of the body of Christ we want to promote. And that section in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians that concludes with uh, verse 16 or so, um, the whole body, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So by consent, again, and, and by having an attitude that says, yeah, we want to chat. Mm-hmm. If we somewhat disagree, we want to do something uh, new, if you will, let's have a look at that. And yep. let's uh, see what we can do. Does it build up the body? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, the problem sometimes arises that in terms of borders, um, in the Bible, you have church at Corinth, at, at, uh, at Thessalonica, at Berea, in Revelation, you got Ephesians, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. church at. And we used to have three churches here, Smithfield, Hamilton, and Burnton. 
Mm. Now we have all kinds of names associated with these congregations. Yeah. That's a trend. Um, oh, interesting. Never heard that. The naming of a congregation. Well, um, it's just, a, I mean, Burlington Ebenezer was there initially. How well, long has Cornerstone been around as, uh, as Cornerstone? A, a long time as well. Yeah, since so I've been I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but yeah. we're more and more talking about these churches as Cornerstone or Mercy or Blessings. Yeah. And, um, Less so as a church at Smithville or Smithville congregation. Mm, sure. So and um, so on that basis, um, what I'm trying to say is that the the, uh, uh, the use of borders in the past would demographically allow for a, um, a broad strand to be part of that uh, congregation without sort of uh, polarizing or that's maybe too heavy a word. Uh, well, one of these churches started with a phrase, it's not for everyone, what we're trying to do here. Mm. Now, that, to my mind, is the wrong notion to organize a church and a congregation with. Right. Because you ought to, by common accord and consent, get everybody involved and, and convince one another as to what you're doing. Mm. Not that they were doing anything wrong, necessarily, but it's... If you get all kinds of people that are orientated in the same direction in the same way, you don't have iron sharpening iron. Mm. And I miss that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've we've talked about it before in terms of people. Um, you know, if you categorize it in political terms, like you think conservatively, conservatively, which is more of an order based, like you're, you're uh, prioritized order mm. versus more of a liberal way, which you're prioritizing. Um, yeah, seeking new things and trying to change creativity, creativity, openness, yeah. that kind of thing. Mm if you do the local uh, approach, like you talked about, like say, you know, the church at Smithville, you're going to get all the type of people who live in Smithville. And then, so hopefully you get a nice mix in there and that creates a healthy environment. And yeah. So like, I see the wisdom in the border thing, but it is also tricky today too, because you know, there's these churches, they, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of different areas and you know, you're, you're six minutes to one and nine to another. It's kind of totally agree. And, and mm -hmm. you know what? Um, we got to be careful not to polarize each other either. It can mm. become a stomach block as well. And, uh, yeah. On that basis, uh, I mean, the Christian Reform Church historically is a bit of an example to us in, in a negative way because mm. they did have liberal, conservative-oriented churches right. that, that over time uh, became somewhat of a polarized situation. Much more doing their own thing. Well, uh, you know, it's a personal opinion that I'm sharing, but sure. to mm. my mind, it's true, true, historically a trend that was noticeable. And hopefully yeah. we don't go in that direction. Yeah. That we don't lose each other in terms of contact. And therefore classes, for instance, becomes an mm -hmm. important place to dialogue mm -hmm. back and forth. And yep. um, Yeah, then these higher or these broader assemblies become very important to yeah. to dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you see that with a lot of things in our in our in our age group at least, that you we used to even have friends, like your friends were nearby. And I remember like, you know, just listening to stories my parents would tell, be like, yeah, you, you know, your friends were, you know, the Smithville friends or the, you know, this area or that area, right? And then, oh yeah, he lived out there. We didn't really see him. Now it's like, yeah, you know, you're friends with a guy in, in, in Toronto and in Dunville and you're, you're all over the place and people get together with who they want to get together with. And it's, yeah, it's a bit of a different uh, landscape. It's going to be very positive too. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. But it's easier to get together with people who you agree with. Oh, well, right? but on the other hand, you know, the simulation through Vito, for instance, for mm -hmm. the, what, mm -hmm. 17 congregations that feed, her, yep. feed into that mm -hmm. um, particular 
setting. It, it's a wonderful exchange. You get marriages from <laughs> different yeah. directions. Oh, yeah. That is wonderful to see. Mm. Yeah. It's been very positive. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's so all that's, isn't there. Yeah, no, we're kind of. <laughs> Do you want to roll into some of the articles? Or, or yeah, like, I guess. Like, we may as well just touched work, on a bunch of them, but work through this. Like, we haven't. I guess we go to Article Three if you want. Um, the calling of office. Like, we've chatted about that a couple times too. Like, what does it mean to to be called to an office? And no, we could uh, talk about this for a year. And well, what does it mean to be called? Like, uh, I guess calling versus vocation. Yeah. Those are two. I'm not sure if those are synonyms exactly. Uh, so maybe yeah, if you want to like hash it out for us and well, talk the, about the, the history of this <laughs> Article Three. The, the first phrase in Article Three. You notice it? Male. <laughs> oh, well, there's that too. Yeah. So yeah. you know. In the Christian Reform setting, that phrase was changed in a different context. But no one shall take any office upon himself without having been lawfully called thereto. And this is Hebrews 4. Well, even the Lord Jesus called to office. Mm. So you're called. You can't take it upon yourself. But then the next phrase, only male members, and that's where the problem lies, if you open it up to women in office or then... Um, we go beyond that. Only male uh, members who have made professional faith and, and may, be, uh, may be considered to meet the conditions set forth in 1 Timothy, etc., uh, shall be eligible for office. So you're eligible, for, first of all, eligible by way of conduct in life, mm. confessing uh, the Reformed doctrines. And, yeah, it's a, it's a calling that you... With a form, for instance, that says you believe in your heart that the Lord has called you. Yeah. Mm. However, and he also enables you. And, and you know, you, you bring the Word of God to people. It's basically what you do. So it's the Word of God that leads you. And in that context, it's a beautiful thing to be an elder for so many terms and whatever. Not, to bring God's Word and to recognize that that's a, you're called to office and not necessarily because you have, um, you know, X, Y gifts or something. It's the Lord in his way, mm-hmm. by his Holy Spirit, enables you to do what you're asked to be doing. What are you asked to be doing? Well, to open God's word with people, to visit, to have a compassionate relationship in terms of being a pastoral elder or minister or deacon in the sense mm-hmm. of bringing the mercy of God. What a wonderful thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to say much. You might want to have a half a dozen passages that you can, yeah. you can read and, and think about yeah. with people. But, you, you know, you don't have to be a scholar of the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's about you're basically giving you a responsibility, and the Holy Spirit will enable you to do so. Hmm. And it's a wonderful spiritually uh, enhancing sort of practice or experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how is that calling different then for... Um, an elder deacon or minister specifically than it is for say we we like to say well i felt called to you know go on a mission trip to the dr or something um you know people like yeah i don't, I don't know if it's a growing thing but it, it seems to be in my mind at least it's you know people f- feel a calling in their life to to even a vocation versus you know something else or um yeah i guess it doesn't come from you well you know, I, I sometimes refer to myself as a sober Dutchman. <laughs> there are certain parts of the Netherlands when you, sociologically, if you're coming from there, you're quite sober about those kinds of things. You're not very, you don't talk about 
in a spiritual sense, calling so much as mm. Lord opens doors, closes doors. Right. If I have opportunity, if I have gifts to do certain things, mm -hmm. go ahead and do them. Mm. And it's putting your place to do so, then by all means. I, you know, you, there's no further revelation in God's word as we have it now. Yeah. Mm. So in that sense, I'm always a little leery of the word calling. But mm. yeah, a minister needs to be called. And that's different from a vocational calling. Then. Well, in a vocational calling, you, you know, when did I go into teaching? In high school, already, I, I got the sense that I would enjoy that. Mm. And I did. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So on the one hand, the minister might make a similar dis decision when they're going into the into study the ministry. But yeah. then the calling after that to a particular congregation is a, a bit of a different. Yeah. The consistory has to call you. Mm. And that's uh, a different thing. Well, it's a different kind of calling, but it's not to be divorced from the notion of, hey, um, if I think I have a calling to be a pastor and I consider it doesn't call me, I might want to revisit my earlier thoughts. Mm. Yeah, so, so it will good. be tested. Yeah, I suppose mm. if you feel, if you feel, I guess, yeah, if you feel that you are being, if you think perhaps, I'm not sure what the right word is there, but if you think you've been called and the real life will test that in a way to show you in real life, obviously, you know, directed by God. Yeah, and I would add, the Holy Spirit, God himself, sure. will yeah. also give you the skills, the abilities as needed, mm. and the confidence mm. to do so. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, we could talk about this one all day, because there's, there's so many things that people say, yeah, yeah I feel like, called yeah. to, and then, and then you're, you're, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't always make me question. It just makes me well, wonder, as, wonder what is a calling, and then what isn't. As, know, as a young office bearer, what do you think? <laughs> that's a good question yeah i mean like to me office bearer is is one thing where you're if you're put on a nomination list that is that is a calling from god like it was a it's through a process that the the council came to a decision or the congregation nominated you and then you know through a process you became you know on that list and then you know through the voting which is you know obviously blessed by god then you you become called to an office so I find that that's, yeah, I guess similar to to a minister. There's a there's a process behind that. It's a little bit different than me thinking, you know, I feel called to start a business. It's, yeah, okay, maybe the opportunity presented itself. It didn't, you know, it wasn't a, wasn't a direct calling. And if that business failed, was that not a calling? Was that, you know, it's all this these little, you know, feely things that you're not really sure. To... Well, but to tie it back to Article 3, the calling to office uh, article, you know, when you speak process, it does speak to words, uh, you know, your confessional life mm. is noted. And yeah. that, that's part of the process that office bearers go through in terms of the nominate and congregation as well. They can right. obviously nominate you, and they do, uh, in terms of, uh, hey, this man could help us to function as an office bearer in mm. God's church. That's mm -hmm. a wonderful process. Yeah. yeah. I suppose you're just, you're called to be faithful, fundamentally. And to be faithful would be to test the spirits, to test the waters. And if you, you know, feel that you have been called, for example, if you're a young man, you feel like you're called to be become a pastor, then you go to seminary, you go through the training, you go through the examinations and, you know, if the Lord guides you through all those steps. And then, and then a church also with much del deliberation and prayer extends a call towards you. Then I guess that's, uh, that's mm. how you would know for sure. Yeah. And obviously we're not pastors. So everybody goes through that in their own fashion mm -hmm. but uh, yeah it's a interesting thing to think about mm -hmm.
Yeah. Yes, again, we could probably talk about this for. But we, I, I've been interested about like when a when a minister gets a call to a different church. What are the considerations behind that? I mean, maybe your dad would have more of a more insight on that. Yeah. You well, know, like, is it is it a monetary thing? Is it a you know the weighing the needs of the two congregations? Is it your family needs? Is, you know, well, like, I'm sure that's all part of it. But also, right. as you are a preacher, I, I think it's obvious that certain preachers fit a congregation. Right. That's true. In terms yeah. of demographics. In terms of the delivery, personality, uh, you know, and if you've been a pastor for ten years in one congregation, you know, perhaps your skills as pastor could be otherwise used in a different mm. congregation for a while. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's not necessarily negative or positive. It's just simply, hey, the Lord will lead you, mm. and that involves you know, family concerns, particularly I would think, because you're a husband as well, yep. mm. and a father. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, lots to consider there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had guarding the pulpit down here in the outline too. Yeah, I mean, 15. I didn't know how much. Uh, this is one that just popped in my head that yeah. you know, in in recent memory, in my memory, anyways, has been has been one that has been discussed. Um, how do we? Um, is that a specifically Canref thing, or well, was that always in there? There is an article um, uh, fifteen preaching. In other places. The yeah. consistory decides what you do as a minister in terms of mm. where to preach. Does that article mean your consistory as where you serve? Yes. Determines where you can preach? Yes. Or the consistory? No, it's your consistory determines where you can where preach. Where you can preach. And, and it, not that the consistory can determine who <laughs> preaches on their pulpit? Well, yes, that too. Oh, okay. But, yeah. but, so both ways. But, but <laughs> uh, you know, the... Uh, and we, we had one, this is 40 years ago almost, we had, one, we had a minister who ended up preaching where we did not have, in Lower Sackville actually, it was a house congregation that was looking to join our federation. So can mm-hmm. I preach there, uh, Reverend Hesley asked, and edifying word, because it's just simply, there, there's not a consistory there, it's nope. not a sister church. So we want to protect the congregation, first and foremost, that... Uh, the congregation that well, he's here, serving. here to begin with in yes. your local and and you want to make sure that the minister for life that's been called to your congregation doesn't sort of fly off and does his own thing hmm. um, interesting yeah you can't walk away from the ministry so readily either um, um, well there is temporary relief for health reasons you could go to another um uh, let's say function, or let's say uh, you're bound to the service at a church, but uh, you could go into another vocation if you find yourself needing to do that for spiritual reasons, for instance, that could happen. Um, so it involves classes because classes is also involved with, um, let's say, opening the pulpit in terms of ordaining ministers within the federation. So class is mm. involved because it's not just that congregation where he can preach, but also the whole federation. Mm. So similarly, if there's dismissal, it involves the broader assembly as well. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So really it's not the consistory then? In terms of? In terms of, so let's say Church A um, would like to have you know, guest minister be on their pulpit. Well, if he's from the sister church, no issue. If he's not from the sister church, then you, then have, an you issue. have an issue. Then you have an issue. Because you want to protect the congregation. Mm-hmm. Because So you, even if the local consistory says, no, like, you know, we trust this brother, we, even though he's not from an, an approved federation. 
Uh, you know what? And some people will argue back and forth on that one. But yeah. formally, the intent is to protect the congregation. Yeah. Mm. To make sure that who is on the pulpit has a reformed confessional uh, background training has been declared eligible for uh, ministry in our federation. Yep. If he's not declared eligible for the ministry in our federation, short answer, no. Mm. Mm. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah. but yeah. going back to our church governance structure talk before, doesn't the consistory have like the final say? Yeah. And on that basis, uh, it's interesting because these are some of the things that in the URC yeah. uh, become a bit of an issue because they're more locally determining rather than, in other words, they would locally decide that yeah. rather than having recognized classes as opening the pulpit right. the, within the federation. Yep. Right, right. So we, uh, properly, if you will, would say, if you're not a, from a sister church or a church with which we have ecclesiastical fellowship, pulpit is closed to you hmm. because yep. we want to protect the congregation and the federation, if you will. Yes, yeah. Hmm. And that's not to suggest anything about the man himself. Sure. If he comes from Timbuktu and he he, he says he's a reformed and he consists he wants to put him on the pulpit, I mean, you know, you don't, you, you make no comment about the man himself. You just simply say, our agreed upon regulations or church order, better said, just mm -hmm. church order, yep. doesn't allow this. Now, hmm. so would... Do you think that's a bit too restrictive in terms of the balance of, you know, freedom, freedom, you know, discipline through freedom, that kind of thing, freedom through discipline, rather? Like, because if it, if the consistory were to make that decision, did you say that if in church A, canon of church A makes a decision to let in a brother who is a reform pastor, but not from a, let's just use a reform pastor as an example, but not from a sister church, is or that a, reform? Or a church with which we have ecclesiastical fellowship. Or mm -hmm. church, yeah, okay. Does that give that man the right or the ability to be able to preach in any other Canadian Reformed Church? Obviously or is not. it still... Okay. Obviously not. Okay. Didn't and this, so. this is one of the things that, that sort of gets to be debated back and forth. Right. But the intent of the article, historically, yeah. there's no question. Yeah. And the intent of the article is to protect the congregation. And uh, the consistory may say, okay, we got a Reformed fellow from whatever. Sure. And he's not from a sister church, not from... A, with which we have ecclesiastical fellowship and yep. we want him on the pulpit. Yep. We would say no, church orderly. Mm -hmm. Because within the context of the church order, with common consent, we declare eligible for being on our pulpits those who have gone through the process of Article 456. Yep. Mm. Uh, I, yeah. I see the wisdom in that because it is important to protect the pulpit, but it also seems like kind of a shame that you can't have a a good man on your pulpit. I'll listen to him on Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> but it goes back to the the doing things in good order together, right? So if, if we have a, an agreed upon, you know, way we do this, then, yeah, it's in good order to include the other churches in a decision like that. Where, yeah. No, I get your point. Like, it is the wisdom of a, yeah. yeah, the wisdom of a of a consistory maybe is, is being, you know, questioned there, but not... Yeah, I think it's. I just don't. I don't quite understand. I understand the the common good sort of argument there, but I don't understand the protection of the church itself because the those who are entrusted with protecting that church 
are the local consistory. Okay. So why don't they get to make the call? Well, here's another sort of tangent on this one. When a minister is called, the congregation gets a vote. Yep. Mm. So the congregation helps to have input. Now, congregational meetings are not recognized ecclesiastical assemblies for decision-making. Neither is a council, by the way, uh, mm. which is the elders with the deacons. Although we still use that term and it's sort of snuck in and it's not in the church order, but it's fine. Anyhow, to get to the point, the congregation is involved normally yep. in terms of, okay, we have a brother who's eligible for call. The congregation gets involved and shall we call him? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. So to bypass the congregation, even though use your uh, argument, the well-being of the congregation is given to the uh, elders, and yeah, they have to give account for the, uh, you know, Hebrews thirteen, the souls of of, uh, of yep. the uh, mm. members. Right. Well, I'd be very careful with that, and I wouldn't open up the pulpit. Period. Mm. Well, and look, look, I I agree. You should be very careful. But if you really insist, make an article. Yeah, 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 ecclesiastical root. Yeah. yeah. Well, it just seemed like to be true, the principle that the consistory should be the locus of, you know, the, the power of the church. Right. So yeah, it, sounds, it, just, yeah. it seems like a bit of a, yeah. It sounds a little more like the United Reformed Church would, would, uh, but yeah, with that. So the same argument is there for Article 55, where mm. we sing. With the songs, yeah. Well, yeah. General Sinnott has approved. Yeah. And hmm. nothing more or less, if you will. Yeah, right. And we want to give dominance to the 150 Psalms. Uh, that, that one makes a bit more sense to me because I see the benefit of having a unified approach to song, you know, singing across the Federation. But the fact that you said that, okay, like if, if you know, Brother X is able to preach in Church Z, but like just because the congregate, uh, the, just because the council of the consistory in Church X approved it doesn't mean Church Y has to approve it over here. So you don't get that spread that way. Okay. For protecting it, that would be that would be the case I would make if oh, I felt passionate yeah. about well, to change that was anything. Part of your argument then for making a proposal to change the truth. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Oh, God. yeah, but you're but in the same way, like it, when you have preaching on one pulpit, it's not just for that congregation necessarily either. Like if you think of uh, some of the you know I don't know you say great sermons of the of history were absorbed by like even Paul's letters were circulated through the churches, so they were written to a church but circulated through the churches and then. So then you have uh, something that's you know approved in one church that spreads through the federation. So it's still it is still guarding the whole federation, is it? Yeah. Okay, but like and also whatever the, it would have to be the dominoes have to go one by one by one by one, right? In that situation. Well, I mean, hardly you have now. This, like you everyone will just live start throb of a pastor who was like, everyone's like, we gotta get this guy in our pulpit. Well, then you get into that too, where you have like say one church is singing, you know you know, X number of extra songs and they're also getting X number of extra pastors on their pulpit who, you know, now do you have like a, a yeah, a, a like separation I, 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 there. I see yeah. the pitfalls. I'm just making a like uh devil's advocate. Well, Devil, well, well, and that's yeah. why you have article one and 76 good order with common accord. Yeah. 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 Church order advocate. Good book. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Interesting. Anything else on the Psalms and hymns? Like that's, I mean, we talked about it a bunch, I guess. Well, it's an interesting process we're undergoing now. And I can recall we had, you know, let's say 29 hymns some years ago, then 44, then whatever it was. 
an 86. When, when we I got think it was 65 for a while. It was 65 and 86. 86. So we've gone through a process there. And mm. there's nothing, nothing really wrong with that process because we do it by common accord and general decisions. But should the dominance of the uh, Psalms be, uh, because it is the Word of God per se, not function well within our, you know, speaking back to God within the congregation. Mm. Uh, and that debate has been waged at General Senate Win uh, Edmonton, and obviously within the committee now we have proposals uh, to sort of have another go at this number. And uh, there are some <clears throat> sections in the hymn section that uh, um, do not emphasize certain parts of uh, Christ's ministry. In terms of birth, there is. In terms of ascension, less so. Mm. Um, so that to balance the... Uh, what, balance those doctrines out in our well what, what for instance we we're supposed thing. to do in the worship service when we we're supposed to commemorate and the uh, the uh, the article talks about uh, days of commemoration the birth death resurrection and ascension of the lord jesus are to be remembered and we mm -hmm. normally do this on uh, sunday by the way there's no new year's eve sermon <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have traditions that we sort of sure. abide by or not so mm. not so well abide by. But anyhow, the, the notion here is that the hymns might want to be looked at by way of those, uh, let's say, events in the, um, in the life of the Lord Jesus. Mm. And is that equally done? Right. We, is there availability for those services? Yeah, we, for instance, we have, we have a wonderful song uh, we, we sang on Sunday when we had that sermon on Acts uh, 15 about, and it's a Scottish hymn, you know, the church's one foundation hmm. is Jesus Christ. And in that sense, we, we have a unity uh, that is expressed uh, by way of the hymns, by way of, let's say, a, a song that was added to the Book of Praise, and it has that Scottish background, that really lives well with us hmm. and yep. has been well appreciated. Mm -hmm. So there's no problem in having gone from 29 to 86 in terms of good rationale. Yeah. And that's what we're busy with now as well. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we'll wait what the committee we'll what, comes up with. Yeah. 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 So they'll, I guess they'll come up with their proposal yeah. as to what songs to add and, and subtract, yeah, they, I suppose, yeah. as well. They came up with proposed ones, and then there's going to be feedback from the churches. Yeah. Six months to, before to the general final yeah. the Churches need to get that material in their hands yeah. so as to be able to respond. Uh, I mean, you know, there, there is that ongoing debate. If you go back to 1835, before uh, the uh, secession, songs were an issue. We were in 1944, songs were an issue. Yeah. You know, are they too Armenian? Are they bringing in... Mm. A theology mm. that's sort of more man-centered, too much I, I, this, and I, I, that. Yeah. So these are sort of historic, church historically, uh, sort of normal discussions. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think we've been pretty aware of that. Like, I just thinking of the lyrics of the songs now. I mean, I should probably send some feedback in on some of them. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask you about 51 on mission, but before we get to that, 52 worship services. Um, we have in there the consistory shall call the congregation together for worship twice on Lord's Day. Mm -hmm. oh, is, that is, a, is that a camera F injunction or is that how far, how far back does the history go? Well, Calvin did, and they had Wednesday evening prayer services. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, 
And you know what? Sure, it's tradition. Sure, it's something that came about by way of practice. Yep. Sure, it's something that has, uh, by let's say biblical wisdom, been deemed to be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, do we excommunicate monsters? No, I don't think we ever have as such. No, but we do ask, what's the problem? If mm. the word of God has been explained, do we want to be there? Oh yeah, and yeah. why not twice? Yeah, and on that basis, it's a positive uh, admonition or encouragement. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not opposed. I'm just just curious. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. I'm sorry yeah. to, to be so. No, does, that, does that satisfy you during these COVID times? Yeah, so I got got to turn on Zoom church twice a day. Yeah, yeah you wonder what's going to happen because you were on the couch. You know, church on the couch. Mm. With COVID, uh, it's not the same. Yeah, the fellowship is not the same, and we're lacking um, mm-hmm. yeah, the application cool. of this. Yeah, yeah. see, so we can I go know, another hour and a half on that. It's, yeah, we've had so many conversations about that now. <laughs> uh, well, there's also an article that, that talks about what we need to do with the uh, um, government government in that regard mm. to to encourage uh, communication and basically we are we are encouraged to with civil authorities to impress diligently and sincerity upon them and first of all both we need to diligently and it's article 28 impress diligently and sincerity upon the congregation and that they need to love and be obedient to and respect the civil authorities mm-hmm. but then beyond that we need to endeavor to uh, by due respect and communication to secure and retain the favor of the authorities toward the church. And and that, I think, causes we had our consistory right to the mm. premier, I understand, and he responded. So Yeah, I don't know that he responded, but someone responded. <laughs> <laughs> so that, but that's appropriate. Yeah. So there, there's our, our context for how to mm. react to the COVID uh, uh, church on the couch situation for the moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although I guess, you know, if you were to further nuance that argument, it, how, what if the government is forcing you to act against your Christian conscience? If it's an individual situation, we, you know, with P- uh, John and Peter coming from the Sunday right. drain, we sure. obey God rather than man. But is your personal... Um, yeah, you get the personal versus the collective, I suppose. Responsibility or your personal freedom. Yeah, I suppose you could argue this to some degree. I'm not ready to do that in the sense of uh, yeah. we are receiving wonderful sermons. Mm-hmm. I refer to it a couple of times in the afternoon about drift, not drifting away. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful preaching. Uh, so we work with that all week. Yeah. Am, am I compromised? Yeah, to some degree. Yeah. By not going to church. But is it an imposition that gives me to claim that reference from Acts that Peter and John could not speak the word? Because yeah. that was their claim. Yeah. And now we are hearing the gospel. Yeah. Is it, mm-hmm. is it, you know, the other concern I have, it, like me, second week, uh, Sunday, we have, we're supposed to have Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, that's a question for me too. It's like, it, uh, is, you know, you mentioned before, like the elders are responsible for, caring for the souls of the congregation. Yeah. So is that, obviously COVID is, I would say, undoubtedly hampering yes. their ability to do so. But the question becomes, at what point is it 
too too much, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, well, and obviously it's temporary. We all. <laughs> well, uh, I'm waiting for the second vaccine. Yeah, my mask is off. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, yeah, we'll wait till Art gets back into into consistency. <laughs> exactly. He'll solve it for us all. No, the wisdom we need we need to not lose a sense of humor about some of this, but also to to appease one another in the sense of you know this is the guy that we go by mm-hmm. and create and maintain a common accord. Would there be any um, merit or usefulness to the, the, the Federation putting out a position uh, if it well, could yeah, be done? Yes. I, you know what? I, there is a, let me go to the other one here about the days of prayer. Mm. Um, so the Federation could, first of all, have a day of prayer. I think some time ago we talked about abortion, for instance, being a matter for the churches yep. to, in prayer, uh, draw before the Lord to also petition the government, if you will. Yep. Mm-hmm. But COVID, in this case, the lack of fellowship in worship and a command for us to worship in, and not neglect worship together is a command. And, and your the government is jeopardizing something here. So to have a day of prayer, and it would be the Church of Edmonton and Rehoboth uh, Burrington, uh, that I think are designated by the General Senate to mm-hmm. be the calling churches for this. So within the Federation, on one Sunday, do have a day of prayer. You could have it on a different Sunday or day of the week, if you will, but normally we would do this on a Sunday. Hmm. Have a day of prayer for the governments to facilitate churches to be able to worship as we intend to. Mm-hmm. So that could be one way to approach this. And are those mm-hmm. those two churches you mentioned? Are is that historically always been those churches who are supposed well, to do it? Or? This has been designated by uh, Every, General Synod. I don't know, forty years ago. Really? Yeah. So members in those churches. Well, I think it's Emmanuel Edmonton and Rayleigh Burlington that mm-hmm. are the. Uh, um, it, it's right in yeah, the article right. too. They're appointed. They're appointed for that purpose to de- to decide. So those okay. two consistories would tell us all this is what we want to do. Mm. And then. The other churches would just have to agree, or well, I have to agree. We by common accord, we yeah, want yeah, to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, the rate yeah. of us in Burlington and Edmonton would have to because it should be a national issue. Sure. And I think COVID is, yeah, I so think that's a great day idea. Prayer for COVID, sure. I think we had, I don't know if it was for COVID, I can remember one though. Yeah, I don't know. Abortion. Oh, was it? Yeah, 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 that did happen. Interesting. Oh. Well, if you're a member of those churches, I guess that's uh, well, the, the a good councils idea. of those two churches, right? Of course, consistories decide, they, yeah. Look, right to, right to your council. Yeah. And then this, this is done so it's it's orderly. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I got so much more. This is like, go, yeah, we're go, how, go, go, go. Yeah. <laughs> how much time do <laughs> we got? We have about 10 minutes, uh, maybe? Yeah, sure. We'll just keep going. Seven, so, it looks like. Yeah, okay. We'll, maybe a little Maybe a little more. Bring it one more. We'll say then. we started it a little early and hope for the best here. Yeah. <laughs> Probably 10 minutes yet. I, I had a question. It's not specifically about the articles, but unless you got something. No, yet. go ahead. Like, I was so we wrote this. I wrote this down uh, in a note to you, but I'm curious about excommunication and withdrawal and how we treat that. I mean, it's more of a. I don't know that it's directly in the church order. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Withdrawal but, is not as such. Right, excommunication is laid out, um, and and I guess the the formal attitude we have toward that, and and then how we go about showing showing grace, and then also uh, some form of like order in the way that's done. But I've had a few discussions recently about withdrawal being, um, well, the church and what the church is. And as a member of the church, you, it's not really your church. It's, it's Christ church. 
it's like it's Christ's bride. So when when you withdraw from the church, um, I understand that that's. I mean, it's obviously we all recognize it's a serious thing, but we don't seem to treat it as serious as an excommunication. And it seems that the way out of like say an excommunication is just to withdraw. And it's so I don't know. Maybe maybe this is putting it a little bit like crassly, but it's like. Um, and then why don't why wouldn't we follow through with an excommunication process after someone has um, showed interest in withdrawing? What what's the distinction, and then, and then why why do we pick one or the other or, or, or recognize them differently? Well, a number of things, but first of all, you're identifying, I think, a bit of a trend indeed, because in some federations they have erasure, erase the name. Hmm. Hmm. Um, we don't have a draw in terms of the church order. But see, the point is, let's say you're a community member. You take your attestation because you said you were going to Timbuktu. Mm-hmm. And you don't hand in your church or your attestation to your church. Well, let's say you go to Toronto and you sort of get swallowed up in the city there and you don't, having given, been given your attestation from Cornerstone Hamilton or Hamilton Cornerstone, and you don't hand in that attestation at the Canadian Farm Church in Toronto, you have withdrawn yourself. No, mm. we could we could send a note, because you could do so, and some do, more faithfully than others. We could send a note to clerk of Cornerstone. Could send a note to Canadian uh, Farm Church in Toronto saying we have issued an attestation to so and so. He intends to reside here or there, but sometimes the forwarding name is not given or address is not given. Mm. So. You are responsible for yourself. Yes, the consistory has a responsibility for the soul. But if you withdraw, then you you are not authorized as an elder to go hassle you. Hmm. If you have uh, sort of disappeared, and I can give you not such pretty examples of some of that. Hmm. And it's heart-wrenching in a way where people, um, let's say they're not faithful. Elders go, admonish, and they know step one, two, three, because they're confessing members are three steps, mm-hmm. uh, is coming. And well, sometimes for the sake of their parents, they flee. Because they don't want the aggravation mm-hmm. in the family. They should not leave without a very severe warning and admonition from the elders. And you don't know what happens in those relationships at times. Mm-hmm. And uh, so and we are concerned about these things. Because, yeah, it's becoming more and more a bit of a trend to, okay, uh, you are putting me um, under discipline before the third announcement is made. And there is a name given, um, and that's also for the second uh, step for uh, confessing Mm -hmm. members. And that has been authorized by classes to have been done properly by the consistory, if you will. Authorized in the sense of having had others with wisdom sort of interact with the in. with mm-hmm. the pastoral care and it's done in camera and private if you will and it's done with compassion without names that classes being mentioned and those kind of things mm. but it's it's done with intent to in love bring people back yep. but if people flee don't want to be part of that loving relationship if you will mm-hmm. you have no jurisdiction as an elder when they leave mm. and Let's say they don't take an attestation. They're a non-communicative member. They go live in oil fields in Alberta. Yep. And they say, well, 
See you later. Oh, they don't even say anything. You hear that they've gone there. And mm. it's, as an elder, you're trying to, and you know some of the family relations. So then you hear, okay, he's gone. And then there comes a point where we will say, unless there's contact at such and such a date a month from now, we will consider you to have withdrawn. Hmm. So that's about it. And that's uh, uh, basically at the end of uh, uh, the uh, article that, that talks about this in Article 68, uh, the process. And meanwhile, you got to be very careful as consistory as to when you get involved. Right. With discipline as well, because there also mm -hmm. have been some prior discussion with witnesses and mm -hmm. if things go well. But yeah, you, as you get to know your sheep, uh, visiting them, you know, more or less uh, uh, regularly, hopefully more than once a year, you get to touch base. Mm -hmm. Then you begin to understand what may happen, and you try to forego what could happen right. if it's a negative. And um, yeah, you only mm -hmm. can do so much because the Holy Spirit gives faith. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, because on the one hand, you have the uh, you know what you bind in on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose yes. on earth will be loose in heaven. Catechism, and that's, I mean, that is definitely the responsibility of the consistory. Keys and, of the kingdom, and the keys of the kingdom are given to them. But on the other hand, yeah, like I see what you're saying. Like if somebody flees, I guess it's, I don't know, it's not really a worldly view, but you don't you don't have the authority to go chase them across the world or... Um, Registered letters sometimes work. Right. But even that is, you know, it, it, it's difficult. Hmm. It's really, it's really painful at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I just, yeah. You, you might have noticed in the press release for our consistory reports, this prayer after the office bearers report on home visits mm. for those who are diligent or delinquent. Mm. So there's a special section or moment in the, in the meeting agenda, of yeah. the elders with the minister that that is given some recognition because mm. it is that serious. Yeah. Yeah. That's just interesting because then they see, or you hear some of the announcements that are made. And I've noticed this probably throughout my life, but the, the announcement for an, uh, a withdrawal seems to be more, uh, yeah, so it goes. It, it's more like, you know, we, we, we do hope and pray that this person comes, comes back. Um, but a lot of times there's not a, an urgent plea to reach out to him or them or, well, um, there usually a, as is there would a plea. be. Yeah. Er, earlier. Yeah. I yeah. suppose. Yeah. But you're right. It's getting to be a little casual at times. Yeah. Which I seem, yeah, it just seems to be. Uh, but we're living yeah. in a different society now. There's less mm -hmm. uh, shame. Uh, I use that word in a positive way, in a sense. If withdrawal from the church is not a big deal because nobody reprimands you or you're not mm -hmm. shunned in any which way. And I'm suggesting shunning is the right thing to do. But, you know, in the form for excommunication, it does speak about have nothing to do with this person mm -hmm. because it is sin. But if the person lives in sin, what are you going to do? Hmm. Yeah. And the frustration is there. You get on the one hand, but on the other hand, you bring God's word and it's a two edged sword. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Hmm. All right. Well, we are yeah. definitely, yeah, flush out of time here. So we got to, yeah, for sure. Up, unfortunately, but there's still so many things inside the church order. Eh? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a rich document. At least read it that, you know, like our age, like, I don't know people. It's on the website. Yeah, well, you know what, what, what bothers me a little bit is, you know, the, I have this with me. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
people come to church without a Bible and book of praise because everything's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, I know. I agree with you on that, that actually. I, think that's better I, I find it somewhat um, of a right, well, let's say, reason for the church order not, it's not projected on the screen. Mm. So mm. nobody reads it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And nobody has a copy of it. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, you should uh, definitely read it, folks. It's uh, cantorc.org. It's on the website. So check it's it in out. Your, in your book of praise. Yeah. Go find it. And, and it's it also in your book of praise. <laughs> Pull the dust off it. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we're going to get a new revision soon. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, Dr. Wood, thank hey. you very much. Hey. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, yeah. everyone, for listening. Keep having yeah. real talk. Catch you next time. Yeah. All right, cheers. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. You can send us your feedback by emailing us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. You can find us on social media by looking for the handle Reformed Real Talk. You can find us online by going to realtalkpodcast.ca. We look forward to your feedback as that's what helps us grow and improve as podcasters. Real Talk is produced by myself, Lucas Holfleur, Tyler Vanderwood, and Tim Van Wodenberg. The theme music was created by Calvin Hutton. The table and cabinet behind me were made by Ethan Vanderwood of Eureka Woods. And finally, this sign in the studio was made by Zebra Signs. That's it for now, folks. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.